This morning, we are looking at Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. Uh, this is Matthew's version of Mark's story, uh, the Syrophoenician woman, and I think it'll be familiar to you. Um, in the past four years, I've, I've done Mark's version of this story uh, two different times. So here's Matthew's version, with it, which is a little different, um, but I like it. So uh, Matthew 15, 21 through 28, you'll find the words up there in front of you. Uh, before we read, let's pray. God, again, we spend a, a moment just, just to calm ourselves. and to breathe a little. And as we hear this story, as we think about you, Jesus, and what you did and said and taught, and we think about our own lives, and just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open us up so that we might hear a word from the divine. So speak to us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, so by the way, they're in um, Tyre and Sidon, they're, they're in a place, um, sometimes I like to refer to places like these in, in the stories about Jesus as enemy territory. I don't know if we can go that far. Maybe it's just a place that might be antagonistic to them. They would feel the same way about the people who are there. Uh, so they're in a foreign land-ish kind of place. So they're in Tyre and Sidon. And then a Canaanite woman, uh, someone who's not Jewish, someone who is different than they are, uh, than Jesus and his disciples. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And he said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed that moment. Such a strange story, isn't it? It's just a weird, weird little story, kind of a tough one. Sometimes we come, we come to this story with thinking to ourselves, why is this thing even in the Bible? Like, what do, we, what do we do with this? I mean, this woman comes up with Jesus, who, by the way, is only asking for healing and wholeness, a future for her daughter. That's all she's doing. She's doing what any mother would do for her daughter. She just wants healing and wholeness. She's desperate. 
And Jesus replies to her, well, first, he just ignores her. Now, we get to that point in the story, and that kind of makes us uncomfortable because what we, we, we're not used to seeing Jesus do that kind of thing. Like, he just ignores her. And then she comes again and says, Lord, help me. And he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He calls her a dog in any culture, I would imagine. That's not a good thing to call somebody a dog. Although we named our son Caleb, and in Hebrew it means dog. <laughs> also means faithful, which makes sense because dogs are faithful. We love you. You're like a little puppy. <coughs> Cute little puppy dog. Sorry, buddy. He calls her a dog. Not a good thing, right? Not a good thing. Even So this is a tough story. Like even biblical commentaries, if, if you read commentaries about this, sometimes some of them will just kind of gloss through this story and try, almost trying to avoid it. Uh, like, ah, we don't know what to make of this. We don't know what to do with this. So we struggle with it. We're not quite sure what to do with it. So this morning, uh, I'm going to lean on a guy named Dr. Kenneth Bailey. Uh, I've mentioned him to you before. My dad's mentioned him to you before. Uh, he's written this book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. So he, he kind of knows the Middle Eastern culture. He knows what's going on here. And so he reads this story and it's like, oh, this totally makes sense. He knows what Jesus is doing here. He knows what Jesus is up to. And since he knows that culture, I'm like, let's lean on this guy. And in this book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, uh, he talks about how we usually come at this story. And the way we usually come at this story is individualistically. So we come at this story and we think to ourselves, we put ourselves sort of in the place of the woman, right? And we think to ourselves, how can Jesus ease my pain? How can Jesus ease my, my agony? What can Jesus do for me? Which is often how we come at the scriptures, right? What, what can Jesus do for me? Which is perfectly legitimate. Uh, we'll put ourselves in her shoes uh, a little later on, or probably sandals more accurately. Uh, so we'll do that. And the last two times I preached on this story from Mark, that's exactly what we did. But, but Kenneth Bailey says we, we also have to understand that this story is as much about the disciples and what they believe and what they think and their worldview and their theology, what they think about the divine, it's just as much about them. They have this little piece, this little portion in the story. It's as much about them as it is about the woman, right? So we can't ignore it. There's, a, there's an individualistic aspect to this story, but there's also a communal thing going on in this story. Bailey also says that we have to come at this story with the understanding that Jesus is the master teacher, he is Lord Rabbi. He, he's always trying to teach something in the things that he does, in the things that he says. He's trying to teach them all something, both the woman, he's trying to teach her something, he's trying to teach the disciples something. Now, there are a lot of things that we can say about Jesus, right? We go on and on about Jesus. And one of the things we can say about Jesus is, dude was a master teacher, probably the best teacher who ever walked the face of the planet. Uh, and if there's one thing we also know about teachers is they're not there to just sort of 
often it feels this way. Like if you think back or if you're in school or you think back to your school days, often it felt like teachers were just there to like dispense information and you have to memorize that information so that you can then regurgitate that information on a test uh, later on. Uh, but what we know is that really great teachers, they're not trying to do that. They're, they're trying to transform the lives of their students. They're trying to change them. And some of the best teachers know that sometimes the best way for students to learn something is to come to a realization on their own, to struggle, to be frustrated in order to find their way to a solution on their own. Uh, and so Bailey is kind of saying, that's what Jesus is doing here, right? I had a couple of teachers like that. Uh, I remember Mr. Augsher, my, my calculus teacher in high school, he'd give us problems he knew we didn't have the skills yet to solve so that we'd have to use our imagination to try to solve them. Uh, and it was so frustrating. We, we just, we didn't like that at all. There was another uh, professor, um, Dr. Feinart, I had at Northwestern College. Um, he was a literature professor. He would give us these weird stories, like these short stories. Uh, they were weird, they were strange, and they were really hard to understand. And he would have us read these stories, and then we'd come back together as a class, uh, and we would have to have a class discussion on them. Uh, but Mr. Feinart, uh, he wouldn't give us any interpretation at all. He wouldn't give us any clues. He just said to us, what does this story mean? Like, what's, what's the author trying to get across here? And then he would keep silent the whole time. He would sit on the edge of the table at the front of the room, and he'd just expect us to talk about it. And nobody wanted to say a word because these stories were strange and weird, and they were hard to understand. So we eventually would start talking. We would have a conversation, and he'd just sit there and stare at us as we tried to figure out the story. And then eventually, someone would say something that was, like, connected. And Dr. Feinart would stand up and he'd get all excited, and he'd smile, and he wouldn't say a word, and he'd just point at the person who's talking, right? And then all of a sudden, it was like everybody else started getting this flash of insight, and then the discussion really got going, and we sort of figured it out as a community. But he didn't say a word. He would just stay silent, and I'm thinking to myself, this dude's getting paid how much to do what now? I think I'm going to try I think I'm going to try this. Like, I'm going to read a story and I'm just going to stand up here. I'm not going to say anything. And I'm going to be like, what's it mean, y'all? And then I'll point. <laughs> he would do that, right? And it was such a frustrating process to go through. So Jesus, the master teacher, it's kind of what he's up to. He's trying to, to teach, to test both the woman and the disciples in this story. He clearly is frustrating them all. So Jesus and his disciples, again, they went up north. They wanted to find some rest and relaxation. It had been a tough couple of days. Jesus fed about 10,000 people a couple of days ago with just five loaves of bread and two fishes. Uh, and they all ate. And then they had leftovers. Uh, he walked on water in the middle of wind, testing the imagination of his followers, seeing if they could understand the possibilities of what could be. And then he had like this theological scuffle with some 
uh, with some religious elite just like the day before uh, about what was clean and what was unclean. And then he goes up to this region called Tyre and Sidon, which is an unclean place to be. So he like redefines what unclean and clean is. And then he goes into an unclean uh, place filled with strangers, filled with foreigners, filled with people who are other than him and his disciples. So they're feeling on edge, right? This is a place that would have been antagonistic to them. Anyone who came to them would be unclean, would be an outsider, would be, according to them and what they believe, sort of the bottom of humanity's barrel. Like these are the people you don't want to mix it up with. And then a woman approaches, a mom. She's desperate. Her daughter Her daughter is suffering beyond belief. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She's respectful. And then it says, Jesus did not answer a word. And we're like, what is going on here? Just like Dr. Feinart would stand up in front. Just wouldn't say a thing. Wouldn't say a word. We had to deal with the frustration. Now we look at this and we're like, that's not very compassionate at all. Just to be silent. Kenneth Bailey said he's just being a rabbi. That's what rabbis do. He's pushing her. It looks like he rejects her. Matthew doesn't even try to hide it at all. He knows what Jesus is up to. He knows the end of the story. She could walk away in the face of his silence. She now in that moment has to decide for herself, how badly do I want healing for my daughter? She now has to make a choice. How much do I really trust this guy? She's being tested in this moment. We'll come back to her. First, let's deal with the disciples because their test is going on too. He's trying to teach them something. He's testing their capacity to love, right? So the disciples, they aren't surprised when Jesus doesn't respond a word. They're like, yeah, ignore this woman. That's what, that's what we should do. They're like, can you send her away? They keep coming after us. They keep bothering us. And Jesus is testing them. Do they understand his heart? Do they understand that his love is for the whole world? Apparently not, Jesus must have thought. Because then he says this, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Why would he say something like that? Why would he say that when on on so many other occasions, he makes it clear that his love is for the whole world, that the divine love is for the world and not just Israel. Why would he say that? It doesn't make much sense. So he appears... Kenneth Bailey says, to agree with them. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't do what they ask. He doesn't send the woman away. He just watches for their response. The woman has nowhere else to go, so she says, Lord, help me. The tension now builds. They want him to send her away. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that's what they were feeling because they said it, but it's also what their theology taught them. It's also what their culture taught them. It's also what their tradition said. Their theology, their culture, 
Their tradition said that this is a woman who should be rejected. This is a woman who should be ignored. So Jesus responds, it isn't right to take the children's bread, toss it to the dogs. The meaning there is clear. Israelites are children. Anyone who's not a Jew, a Gentile, they're just a dog. It's not right to take what belongs from the divine to the children and take that and give it to the dogs, those nobodies. What is he doing here? He's making them. He's giving voice to. And in his actions, he's making them face the ugliness of their own theology. He's making them face the ugliness of their own beliefs. He's making them face the ugliness of their own racism, their own sexism. In a sense, he says, okay, you want me to send her away? You want me to limit my love to just you guys and the rest of Israel? Then you watch this woman. You look her in the eye. You listen to her daughter scream and watch me do nothing about it. You face it. Face to face. He gives voice to their beliefs. Shows it to them right there. It's one thing to hate somebody behind their back. But it's another thing to hear the ugliness of your own prejudice expressed out loud in front of another human being. Will any of them speak up? Jesus is wondering. Come on, Jesus. She's a mom. Can't you just... Will any of them show mercy? Nope. They remain silent. They fail this test. This is the love test. Is there someone in your life that bugs you a lot? Like you can't be nice to them? Anybody? Anybody in your life that you're like, man, I can't even be in the same room with that person. Maybe it's a Maybe it's a parent, a sibling. Maybe it's a, a neighbor, somebody you work with, anyone like that. Is there a whole group of people that you're like, I can't do it. I can't even be in the same room. I can't listen to them. Maybe it's someone who stands on the opposite end of the political spectrum. Maybe it's someone who believes something very different about a certain issue. It's just infuriating. Makes you angry. You just don't want to be with them. This is a love test. Where's your capacity to love? I think this test is given all the time. All the time. Maybe every day. So the next time it happens for you, what will you do? We ask for help. God, you got to help me with this person. Help me love them. Help me listen. Help me maybe understand a different perspective. Help give, give me that whatever it is that I need inside of me to maybe learn something from someone who thinks very different than I do. Help me see them as a human being, real flesh and blood 
made in your image. Help me see them with compassion. What will you do the next time that comes up for you? So back to the woman's test. This is the hardest part for her, I think, because she could just run away. I mean, she knew ahead of time, this is a long shot. She knew ahead of time, this is probably how he's going to react. He's going to ignore me or he's going he's to send me away. Will she run away? Will she decide it's just not worth the effort? Or is her love for her daughter so intense? And her trust in Jesus' ability to heal so deep and her faith in his compassion so real that she won't give up. Jesus had just called her a dog, gave voice to the ugly theology and ugly belief that others aren't worthy. Just gave voice to it. Called her a dog, a scavenger. Called her a garbage eater. Not worth anything. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Will she give up? No. She says, I think, the most extraordinary thing. She's like, yeah, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall underneath the master's table. One of my favorite lines, I think, in all of Scripture. Here's a, a foreigner who knows, who knows what she's thought of. And she's like, feed the kids. That's fine. But I bet that you're so big. I bet that you're so powerful. I bet that I bet the divine has so much abundance that you'll even have some left over for someone like me, even if it's just a crumb, even if it's just a tiny little crumb. That's all it'll take, Jesus, just a little, a tiny little bit of your grace, a tiny little bit of your love. That's all it will take, and my daughter will be healed. Extraordinary faith. She wouldn't give up. She never gave up. She just kept coming after it. I have a book that is a collection of writings and speeches of a guy named Martin Luther King Jr. Um, it's a fascinating read. The guy is super brilliant. Talk about someone who will, if you read his writings, who will make us face the ugliness of what we've believed before. In one article he, he wrote, he detailed the oppression felt by lots of people throughout, throughout world history, right? Um, mostly the colored majority of the world being oppressed by the white minority of the world, the British, the Dutch, the French, in places like China and India and Africa. And he goes on to say, he's trying to give, he's trying to give strength and encouragement uh, to uh, the black minority uh, in America during the civil rights movement. And he writes this. He's trying to encourage nonviolent resistance, right? There comes a time when people get tired. There comes a time when people get tired of being trampled over by the iron feet of oppression. There comes a time when people get tired of being plunged across the abyss of exploitation where they experience the bleakness of nagging despair. There comes a time 
and people get tired of being pushed out of the glittering sunlight of life's July and left standing in the piercing chill of an alpine November. So in the midst of their tiredness, these people decided to rise up and protest against injustice. He goes on to say, throughout history, because of those people's endurance, they're free today. Now they have their own governments, their own economic systems, their own educational systems. They can look back and see the old order of colonialism and imperialism passing away and a new order of freedom and justice coming into being. Just keep. I think God cherishes the part of the human spirit that just won't give up. I think God's like, I gave that to you. I think God loves it when God's children endure and push and wrestle and refuse to quit. Even the name Israel means the one who wrestles with God. I think God loves it when people hold on to the goodness and greatness of God, even when it can't be seen, even when it's not experienced. That's what she does. She just keeps coming after him, eating just a crumb. That's all it'll take, Jesus. She passes, the mask comes off. He hides the goodness in his heart for a, for a purpose, and now the purpose is fulfilled. She's passed the test. Woman, you have great faith. You have great faith. Your daughter is healed. Just keep going. It'll be all right. Grace is there. Keep going. Don't quit. So what's the master teacher teaching you today? What's he saying to you? About love. About your capacity to love. About the divine capacity to love and welcome and include. What's the master teaching you about endurance, about continuing to go? Leonard Sweet says that there are two questions that you need to ask yourself in any situation you find yourself. Am I learning something? Am I contributing something? If your answer to those two questions is no, find another place to be. If your answer to those two questions is yes, am I learning something? Yeah. Am I contributing something? Yeah then you're probably exactly where God wants you to be. See, Jesus, the master teacher, is always trying to teach us something, always working to teach us something. You and I, we're followers of Jesus. We call ourselves disciples, which comes from a Greek word, which means learners. Jesus is always trying to teach us. Are we open to learning? If the master teacher is always teaching, are we open to learning? I hope so. Let's pray.